My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are with us for the first time. Thank you for coming, making us your home for an hour. And those of you who have been with us for a little bit, appreciate your presence. We know you're still deciding, and it's our hope that God would add you to us so that we can walk together. I want to dovetail what Pastor Danelle shared in her transitionary moment. The tensions that are ethnically uh, charged in our country seem to, um, se- seem to be those that allow us the privilege, at least if you're listening well, to understand why we are who we are better, why God has established us as a people as he has. We are intentionally a multi-ethnic community. We believe in, in forging relationships that matter cross ethnic lines. When I came here in 1982, it was my hope that God would give me the privilege of helping to pastor a people that looked more like heaven than me. And he has allowed me to be able to do that, and for that I'm very grateful. But it used to be that I only needed to reemphasize who we were maybe about every nine months because something would happen in our country that was pretty rhythmic. Something would occur that would necessitate me explaining why it is that we are who we are. And uh, that was kind of normal, and everybody would say, yes, amen, I get it. But now it's about every month. And it's good that I get the privilege to talk about it, but it's bad that we evidence that it's needed. But this, what we are experiencing, is not new. It's not only not new to us as a people. I know it might be a surprise to many of you, but... It's not to me. But it's not new to history. You go all around the world, you'll find folk that don't like one another because they weren't born from the same stock. They don't have the same heritage. This is normal. It's abnormal to be us. It's supernatural to be us. And God has allowed the church like this to be the church so that we can say something to those who can't figure out what it's supposed to be like out there. Now, having said that, I realize that the church is much broader than who we are. Not everybody can be this. And I don't know that everybody should try. As long as the body of Christ is going across its walls and denominational institutions in order to to intentionally fellowship across ethnic lines and, and doctrinal lines, I'm good. I'm good. So if a white congregation in the suburbs wants to fellowship with a black congregation in the inner city, fabulous. They are doing cross-congregationally what we do every Sunday morning. And so if that happens, excellent. I'm not trying to make everybody like us or to delegitimize what is going on in a mono-ethnic congregation. My goodness. I have pastors sometimes, you know, every, every four times a year, there's a, there's, there, are, there are four months that have five Sundays. And many pastors get that last Sunday off. And sometimes they will come and visit different congregations. Well, I get African-American pastors come and visit here because they heard that there's this black dude that has white people in his church. <laughs> and, and, and they just don't believe it. They don't believe it. Not only in his church, but on his staff. And he's got Asian people on his staff. And he's got Latinos. And how does this black dude do this? And so they come. And, and they, they see it. And they go, huh, it's true. It's true. It's true. And so then they get, a, get an appointment with me the next week. And they say, listen, I, got a, I, got a, I love my church. I got a great church. I'm, I'm, how do you do that? I get white people who come, but they don't stay. How do you get them to stay? I say, well, we, we pay them. LAUGHTER 
and, and, and Stephen said, where's my check? <laughs> where's my check? <laughs> I said, I say, listen, that's a very long answer, dude. It's a really long answer. And I don't know if you're going to like what I have to say. He said, well, can't you just send me one of your white pastors? <laughs> Literally, that's, that's usually the next solution they come up with. Yeah, um, you know what you think when the white congregation tries to get a black pastor to represent the African-American experience to a thousand people who are all white? Do you know what you, do you remember what you think about that experience? I think that the term we use is token. I think. Do, do, do you know you're doing that in reverse? And do you know that never works going that way? Well, it's not going to work going your way either. It's so much more than just getting one white pastor. It's all about you. So if, if you want to come this way, and I think you've got a great church. You've got 3,500 people. I realize they're all African-American. I get it. But their marriages are saved, and their kids are coming home from being prodigals, and, and their lives are better as a result of being in your church, and you're, you're changing your community. You're doing great. You're doing fat. You don't have to be us. This is just something God told me to do. I cannot build any other way. But if you want to come this way, this is what it's, what it's going to cost you. Now, I, I know you do the music that's most found on 104.1. <laughs> I realize some of y'all white people didn't even know the dial went that high. Now, we do music that's down on 91.9. We, we don't have robes on our, on our choir. I don't hoop. That's not basketball. I don't hoop. I preach conversationally. I don't preach very rhythmically. Even though I don't hoop, I don't preach rhythmically. I preach conversation, so I just talk. You're going to have to stop leading with your Hammond B3. It can be a part of what you do, but you can't lead with it. By the way, that's that. That's that organ over there. You didn't even know it was, it sounded like an organ. You, you thought it was another piano. That, that's that thing that you hear at African-American churches and worship and song that makes it say, oh, that's, what, that's, that's, that's them. That's it. That's that. We use it as an accompaniment, not as a lead. And there, that's just what we do on a Sunday morning. And I haven't even mentioned everything. There's so much other stuff we do behind the scenes. I said, now, if you go this way, um, you're probably going to lose half your church. Half. Because they like the way you worship in song. They like the way you preach. That's why they're here. That's why they're not with me. They appreciate coming in and, and having something that's dipped in their culture and concentrated in it. Half of them might stay simply because they're, they're loyal and they want to see where God's going with this. But half of them will just find someplace else where they can do exactly what they want. Do you want to do that? He said, that's what it takes? I said, probably. I said, be happy. Be content at what God's called you to build. But do what you do, not in a silo. Find some folk with whom you can fellowship that aren't like you.
so that your people can cross-pollinate and the body of Christ can be better. Do it like that rather than blowing up your church. Please. It was a great moment. Hour and a half conversation. He walked away happier. Even though he enjoyed what we have, he walked away realizing, I probably am not called to build that. But whatever it looks like, either congregationally or multi-congregationally, the church is to be a people that are diverse. And that diversity is to be expressed in how they unify. Not just amplifying their differences, but using their differences to complement one another so that the entire culture is built up, not just theirs. And they produce something brand new. Paul called it this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. He said, God has given me this wisdom. And um, it's, it's been hidden from all the ages. It's the administration of God's will in these last days. But now it's been revealed to somebody like me. And, and it's this, that the multifold or many-fold wisdom of God might now be made known from the church to the principalities and powers. Now, what, that to which he was speaking was that most of the people who, with whom Paul was walking in that day thought that the church ought to be primarily Jewish because Jesus was a Jew. He was sent to Jewish people. He had Jewish disciples. The church was founded in Jerusalem, which was Jewish. The, the church, for the most part, was all Jewish. It was an occasional Gentile but it, or, or Samaritan or, or Greek. But you generally didn't go and target them. They just kind of came in. And as long as that was the case, they were fine with that. But the church was supposed to be for a Jewish people. And Paul said, eh. simply because the Jewish people happen to be the first and the primary, it doesn't mean they are the only. God's always thought about the rest of humanity. Always. He just had to have a people through whom he could bring his best for the rest of humanity, and he happened to choose the Jewish people. And Paul tapped into that, and he realized that the church is to be multi-ethnic, not mono-ethnic. And when I say church, I'm talking big C, not little C, not congregation, big church. And in so doing, when the church meets together in a multi-ethnic capacity, all of a sudden it is many-fold. Now the word many-fold there in, in, in Ephesians it's the Greek word polupoikolos. And it is the exact same word that is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, to describe Joseph's coat of many colors. So let me read it like Paul intended it to be read. Now this administration has been made known through the manifestation of the multicolored wisdom of God to the principalities and powers. Every Sunday we get together, we're preaching. The multicolored wisdom of God in bringing people that don't look like one another, don't think like one another, don't have the same experiences, come from a completely different background. Every time we are together, we are talking to the principalities and powers about what unity of mankind looks like best in God's order. This is why we plant in Charlottesville. It's not because Charlottesville just needs another church. It's because Charlottesville needs this church. It's not that we're better than anybody else. We just flavor the environment differently. Turn with me over to John. Chapter 1. We're going to begin a series on the Word of God. The Word of God. 
John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Lord, help us, we study. Four things about this passage that I'd like to speak about. One, how things start, commencement. Two, companionship, and that things need to be partnered. Three, things don't need to be separated. And four, there's an identity that is formed when you join with the right thing. And that thing in all four, all four points is the word. The word. Now John is writing differently than the other, the other gospel writers. The, the other three gospels are lumped together as the synoptic gospels in that they are giving different perspectives of Jesus' life. Primarily from a beginning of his ministry on earth all the way to the end. John is not so concerned with chronology as he is theme and same kinds of miracles being clumped together. And things with respect to Jesus' preaching that needed to be gathered together. And he's talking about the importance of the word. In doing so, he is... He is bringing the analogy of the word being synonymous with who God is. And indeed, describing Jesus as he who is the word of God. Now, simply because John describes him as the word of God, it doesn't mean that is all he is. Jesus also described himself as the bread of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the door through which anybody has to come in order to access the sheep. There are many words to describe who Christ is, and our language always fails when we try to describe him in totality because language is flawed. We come up with new words all the time to describe things that either we have manufactured for the first time or concepts that are brand new to us. Forty years ago, there was no such thing as internet. But now we have to come up with a new idea to describe something that used to not be but now is. Our language is flawed. It is limited in its scope. And God is much bigger than, than both our language and our minds to be able to conceive whatever's coming next. And so there's no way that the human in, ingenuity in, in forming words can describe who he is perfectly. Yet, he's given us the privilege of understanding who he is through our words so we can better access him. And it's important that you understand that concept because our, our, our Western mindset thinks of the word word in terms of its syllables that form then different sounds that allow us to describe different things and we call those words. And indeed, that is the way we function. That's how our grammar is based in sentence and syntax and how we begin to form paragraphs and complete thoughts. But the idea in the Greek and the Hebrew, for that matter, about what the word is is much larger than just the, the, the syllables that form different kinds of sounds that describe things. The idea in the Greek mind was concept, not just word. Not just the syllables. It was bigger than that. 
And John uses this idea, logos in the Greek, to say Jesus is a concept of God speaking that is much larger than anything we can begin to describe through syllables. Now, why is this important? Because sometimes we get so concentrated on the syllables that we lose the person. I.e., I read out of the New American Standard Bible. I read out of that. That was kind of when I got born again. That was the one I nursed on. But I also use it as a study Bible because it's really a good one. Now, some of you all didn't even know a New American Standard existed. You read out of the New International Version or the ESV, English Standard Bible uh, Version. You you read out of the the Amplified Version because you really want every verse to preach. (laughs) You read out of the Message because you want to get somebody's interpretation of a passage rather than just having the passage read to you. You you read out of the New Living Translation because you want more of a storyline and a narrative than you do study. There are lots of different reasons as to why you have chosen the Bible you read. And let me say, I'm happy about all of them. I'm glad you read a Bible. I really am. It's great. Please read your Bible every day of your life. And I do not care which version. Happy. And I'm emphasizing that because somebody, some people really care about which version. Why? Because they concentrate on the syllables. They concentrate on the syllables that form with more syllables to make different sounds that describe things. And they say, unless you can say it like this, unless it reads like this, it's not a real Bible. It's a a secondary kind of little story thing, but it's not a Bible. You have to read this version in order to understand God best. Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that... King James was the, the old, Elizabeth, old Elizabethan English was the only way God could talk? Are you, is that what you're telling me? That's the only language in which he spoke. Well, because I, do you know what a kind is? K-I-N-E. Right. It's, it's the old English version. It, it's a cow. But if you read that, you don't know what the guy's talking about. And for that matter, King James and all of the people who interpreted the scribes and the, the folks who worked on that, that beautiful Bible, I love it. They had to get it from the Greek for New Testament. So like, you mean God spoke in Greek? I mean, that was the original, right? So how can you think that yours is more holy? It's got to be less holy if you believe that he speaks in a particular language. Wouldn't the original be the most particular, the most accurate? And so I I am really not into arguing about which Bible. I just want you to read one. But I want you to also understand that the, the differences between the Bibles doesn't and should not affect your faith. When you begin to look and say, well, this says this and that says this. Remember, it's not about the A's and the N's. It's about the concept. It's about the bigness of who our God is and him trying to figure out how in the world he can define himself and his will through our flawed language. I am grateful that I have at least something 
to be able to understand who he is called my Bible. Because Abraham did not. Some of the greatest people, in fact, most of the people in the Bible didn't have a Bible. Noah didn't have a Bible. Job didn't have a Bible. I'm not even talking about New Testament. I'm talking about Old Testament. They had nothing. Adam didn't have a Bible. Enoch didn't have a Bible. Walked with God so well, God said, I'm, I, I can't leave you here. You got to come with me. He didn't have a Bible, but he did have a concept that was accurate. Are you listening to me? And so I want us to think bigger, not that some things need to be added to the Bible in order for the Bible to be complete. It is complete and it is right. But I beg you, think of God bigger than just the words on the page. But the words on the page help guide you to where you need to get to understand how big he is. Y'all looking at me real funny. (laughs) Real funny. Our language is so flawed that it makes it very, very difficult for God to convey who he is and that we have him in word is amazing. Let me give you an example. Moses getting ready to go to Egypt. Doesn't want to go, arguing with God about not going. He's got a cushy job. He likes being a shepherd. He does not want to argue with the people from whom he came in Egypt talking about. Now he's identifying with the folk who are their slaves. And he doesn't want to go to the people who are the slaves because they don't identify with him as being a real Hebrew. He's got no friends, either on the Egyptian or the Israelite side. And he's going to make more enemies. He doesn't want to go. He doesn't want the hassle. He wants to retire in Florida and have a nice home on the beach. He's arguing with God every day, all the time at this burning bush. And finally, he says, this should be the clincher. I want to know, if I go, who shall I say sends me? Now, of all the things he said, that, be careful, Moses. What he's saying is, I need some credibility. I, I, I need to know you're real. God didn't strike him down. He was merciful. But he, he, he answered his question in a way that didn't answer the question because there's no way to describe God in human language. What we have is the best we've got. But Moses was looking for a name like Brett, Jim, Tom. He was looking for something that, that would identify him as separate from anything else. And, and God says, hmm, well, the best way I can describe myself in your language is I am. Is that like really a name? <laughs> I mean, that's what, 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 is I, what is I, what is I am? And God didn't explain it, but this is what it sounds like. Well, I know you want me to say Jim. But Jim hems me in to your concept of what Jim is. All the Jims you've ever known. And whatever Jim means in the language in which it was birthed. And Jim comes from James, which came from Jacob, which means deceiver, which really doesn't describe me at all. So I can't figure out one word in your language that's going to really typify me best. So I'm just going to give you a concept. I am, which means... I'm everlasting, like I was before everything you know to be true. I've always been there. I am currently here to help you if you'll let me, and there's not going to be a time when I'm not. So the best way I can describe it in your language is I am. 
Now, we, we want sometimes in our religiosity to confine him simply to the print when he has allowed himself to be revealed through the print, but he is so much more than the print. So much more. And <laughs> we are still trying to find out who he is through the print. It's taking us forever. You won't have enough lifetimes to live to just read your Bible enough to figure out all who he is because he is so much bigger. And even though we have our Bible, listen, I don't know that we are much better for it. Now I know I said something really strange. But how are we leveraging what we know better than what Abraham did with what he did not know? I mean, you, how, how many Bibles do you have? If you have it on your phone, you've got like six or seven versions, right? And then you've got a paper one at home, that thing that has real print and you flip through it, a book. You have so much access to spiritual information. And, Bible, and yet, are we obeying any better? I beg you, love your Bible to the degree that you obey it and live it, not just get information from it. In the beginning was the word, much broader. And John is doing his best not to just repeat what Matthew, Mark, and Luke did. He wants to go back beyond just the incarnation when Jesus came in the womb of Mary and started his ministry on the planet. He wants to go way back before anything was created. In the beginning was the word. And he defies Jesus as that. Why? Because he wants people to understand the relationship that Jesus, this prophet, who functioned as a prophet on the planet, but was much more than that, that Jesus, this prophet, had with the Father that was different than any other prophet. That he was before whatever we know him to be as a man. And he was the exemplifying concept of God's word on the planet. So that when he spoke, God spoke. When he lived, he lived as if God were living on the planet because he was God. When he thought, he thought the thoughts of God on the planet. He was different than prophets that would have the spirit of God come upon them in order to accomplish that which God desired. He was all that God was. He wasn't part of God. He was God Almighty. And in, in talking about not only his person being God, but him being the word, it allows us to understand all the stuff in red differently. It wasn't just another guy talking on behalf of God. He was the word. Are you listening to me? In the beginning was the word. And may I say that if Jesus was in the beginning, whenever the beginning was, with God, it doesn't mean that there was a moment at which at the beginning he was created. John is doing his best to try to understand, help us understand that when the beginning started, Jesus already was. That's how great this moment is. You got to get this passage. I mean, you need to get it down in your soul. In the beginning, when it started, was the word. And if, if, the, if the word was with God in this... Meaning the word was in the beginning whenever God was because he was never created. The, the concept of who God is necessarily means he can't be created because if anybody created God, then whoever created God must be God. 
And the one he created is not because God cannot be created because whatever can be created can be destroyed and God can't be destroyed. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So if there was a beginning, that in that beginning, whenever the world began, the word already was, there ought to be a beginning in your life. Whenever that is, the beginning of your day, the beginning of your marriage, the beginning of your family, the beginning of your finances, the beginning of your relationships, it ought to have the word first. You ought to prioritize the word of God just like John says it was in the beginning. That before you start anything, what does the word have to say? Before you commence anything, a move across country, I know it might be profitable. Somebody's offering you good money and you're going to have a great promotion. You better consult with Almighty God. Things can turn, turn ugly in a hurry. Economies can dip. Folks can make mistakes in business and it costs you. You better talk to God beforehand. Seek him in a time when he may be found. You don't want to seek him late and stuff like that. Oh, he's merciful. He'll show up late. But he's got more to clean up. You ought to seek him early. In the beginning. In the beginning. Commence right. Secondly, companionship. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Oh, God. You, what, what you have here is a relationship between the son and the father. And so it ought to be with you that you have a relationship with this word. You love it. You love to get in your Bible. You love to read it. It's not a chore. You don't have to, to make yourself, well, devotionals today. Okay, I'm in, I'm in First Chronicles. Ooh. <laughs> and he begat so-and-so. And so-and-so begat so-and-so. Ooh, seven chapters of begat. Seven chapters, and you just think, Lord, really? Really, do I have to go through every begat? Yeah, you do. Because they wrote it for the, for the reasons of, of being able to verify that they were a part of the folks who came out of Egypt and into the promised land. This was their Old Testament book of life, along with the book of Numbers. And generally speaking, when you get to glory, you don't want somebody to skip over your name, do you? Uh, read, read, read Chronicles. Read Chronicles. And every once in a while, you'll find somebody in there who's extraordinary, like Jabez. And all the list of people who lived and died and lived and died and lived and died, every once in a while, there's one of these, oh, oh my goodness. And Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. What, who was Jabez? And it might inspire you to not just be one of those who lived and died and lived and died and lived and died. Hmm. So what we see is the word was with God. You need to have the, the word be a companion to your life regularly. You don't just need to leave it at home when you go out to work. It needs to be with you constantly. And Jesus said, I'm giving you a helper that if somehow you, you, you find yourself devoid of something that you need if you have read the word and deposited it down in your soul like a like like a like taking a, 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 a cash deposit and putting it in the bank of your heart i'll make sure the holy spirit comes alongside so that he's able to re- help you remember that which jesus spoke to you now his job is to help you remember so if you you haven't read it It needs to be your companion. 
Thirdly, inseparable. Inseparable. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. This Word needs to be so much a part of your life that there is no distinguishing it from you. The idea of meditation in the Hebrew, the idea of meditation, not the definition, but the idea that the Hebrews had of meditation. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walks in the, in, in the way of the Lord, not in the counsel of the wicked or sits in the seat of scoffer, but his delight is in the word of the Lord, Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Meditation. The idea of meditation was that which was analogous to an animal chewing the cud. Now, because you're, you're not agrarian, you, you may not know what that means, but animals that, that both, the, uh, cows, deer, sheep, clean animals in the Bible, that, and clean animals had to divide the hoof and chew the cud. Clean animals chewed the cud. A pig is not a clean animal, and please don't mean, I'm not saying you can't eat it because of that. Um, I, I enjoy a good spare rib, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm just designating what the Bible has to say. So the clean ones chewed the cud and divided the hoof. And chewing the cud was the process through which, which an animal would take the stuff that he ate and then bring it into his body so it could be fully digested and become what it needed to be. And so the, the, there were four compartments in the, in the belly or digestive system of the animal. And that which was not digested immediately, as well as it should be, was then brought back up to be chewed again, that it might be brought into the second compartment. That which was not digested would brought back up again until it went through all four compartments, and then somehow it became hair and skin and horns and teeth, and it looked like a cow or a deer. That grass didn't look like that before it was digested by the animal. And the words on the page don't look like you yet. They don't look like you yet. But the more you eat and the more you meditate, all of a sudden, people begin to say, who, who are, I mean, my family, they know bread. My, my brother, sister, still alive, my mom and dad are gone. I said, they, they know bread. I grew up with them. I, I beat them up all the time. I mean, that was me. And they look at me now and they say, that's not bread. That's some, I mean, that's bread, but that's, that's not, the, that's not the, the kid I grew up with. The word defines me more than my upbringing or my ethnicity. Are you listening to me? But it enhances both. Let that word be so ingrained in your life that it becomes who you are and defines who you are. And the word was God. Now, do not think that I am saying somehow that if you read the Bible well enough, somehow you're going to become God. That can't happen. That can't happen. And, and I know some people believe that they can ascend. No, you can't. The only place to which you can ascend after you die is heaven. You don't change as a human being. Your body changes. You get a new flesh. But you, do, you don't become an angel. You don't get wings. And you definitely don't become a deity. There's only one of those. And again, the definition of God is that you cannot be made. So... You can never become him. That's a good point at which all of you need to say amen. amen. 
because some people think they are him now. And if there is one truth I know to be, there is a God, and you are not him. And the word was God. And then lastly, identity. And the word. And the word. And he, meaning Jesus, was in the beginning with God. So we see the word was God. And then it gives personality to the word by saying he. And later on, he describes who that he was. We beheld him as the only begotten of the Father. Verse 12. Full of grace and truth. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't become God when he came here. He was God there. This is the beauty and the mystery of the incarnation. He's always been, but he did take on human flesh in order to identify with us and to accomplish the mission that nobody else could accomplish but him, which is to live on earth as a man, suffering the same kinds of things through which we go, yet without sin, and thereby becoming the one who could be the substitutionary benefit for us because none of us could be substitute for anybody else because we needed to die for our own sin. Jesus did not. He never committed one. Therefore, when death came, it could not hold him because he was sinless. Therefore, when it tried, it couldn't hold him. He rose and lives forevermore. He was in the beginning with God. Identity. This word defines you. It gives you a new identity. Yes, my name is still bread, but I am so different. I'm a new creation in Christ. And you do not become different simply by coming to church. Coming to church doesn't make you any more right, doesn't change you any more than a car going into a garage is changed into something else simply because it's in the garage. You are who you are. What happens in church can change you. How you receive the word can change you. What you do with the word when you leave can change you. It can transform you into something you don't even know you can be yet. But simply being in a religious environment does you little good. More good than not, but little. I'm begging you, use these opportunities to let that word get down in your soul. And let it be the first time you chew on it all week. Tomorrow, get up. <laughs> what Pastor Brett say? Mm-hmm, got that word. Yeah, that word needs to be a part of it. I need to meditate in it, on it day and night. Mm-hmm. Take it back down. Mm-hmm. Until it becomes a part of you. Love this word. Love it. Love his Bible. Let's pray.